Uh, well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning once again. My name is uh, Jacob Smith. I'm the college pastor here at our Anderson campus here at Grace. And man, we are just, we are so excited as a college ministry to come to join with you today, to join with you this morning. Uh, and, and part of us joining together is we're actually going to be stepping out of the book of Ephesians, which you've been walking through over the last few weeks. And we're going to be stepping into the book of Philippians, which we've been walking through across the street. Uh, and as we've been examining the word, as we've been looking at this letter that God inspired, the Apostle Paul to write to the church in Philippi. What's incredible is that we see uh, that it has these truths, it has these principles that, that weren't just applicable to the church thousands of years ago, but it's applicable to the church today because we live in a world right now where we have all of these relationships and responsibilities. We have these distractions and these diversions, all these things that are competing for our attention and for our affection at any given moment. And so in the midst of all that, I mean, we struggle to focus, right? In the midst of all that, we struggle to really focus our attention, to focus our affection, to really know, I mean, what's, what's my clear path forward? What's my highest and best? And in the midst of these over overwhelming options. What's beautiful is God has given us the book of Philippians to focus our minds and our hearts. He's given us this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi that he founded, this church that he loved, this church that he cared for, this church he longed to be with. He has given us this letter, this letter to show us what following Jesus is all about, to provide a focus for our faith. It's a focus that many times can look uh, like this. Uh, this is uh, my son, Lawrence. He's almost nine months old. Uh, and this is a common pose in our home when Lawrence is eating. Uh, because Lawrence loves, when he, when he finds a food that he really enjoys, which is generally just all food. And when he really enjoys it, what he does is he holds it up and proclaims the goodness, right? It's, I can't, I didn't really capture right here. It's a still image, uh, but as he holds it up, he's generally just da 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 ba 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 ba. Just wants everyone to look and see, and he kind of he moves it around in his hand a little bit, kind of waves it around a little bit. Sometimes he bangs it on his tray, like ba ba da ba da ba. And we know in that moment, okay, he's digging it, right? He's digging the dry toast uh, that he's been given. Bless him. Uh, he would get along with some of our sound volunteers uh, very well. Uh, he has this time where he will just, he just holds it. He wants to make an example. He wants to make sure that everyone knows this is amazing. Or as my wife uh, puts it, uh, even as she took this picture, she's like, I think he's toasting me. Mm. And that's why we're perfect for each other. God has prepared us for one another. And, you know, today, as we look in the book of Philippians, what we'll see is that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, inspired by the Spirit, he's turning the church of Philippi, he's turning their focus to two individuals that he's essentially holding over his head and waving around and bah, 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 making an example of for all of the church, for all these other Christians to look at. And he's using them as an example because of the way that they think, because of the way that they live, the example that they set for every disciple of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that as Christians, many times we don't really feel like examples of how to follow Jesus. Right? Many times, even though as Christians, we are identifying under the name of Christ. Right? But being Christians, just by our very definition, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are little Christs. In other words, we are his followers. We are his disciples. 
And yet many times we look at our lives and if we're really asking this question of, man, what would Jesus do in this moment or in that moment or in this situation or in that relationship? Many times the things that we see ourselves saying or see ourselves doing or what we find ourselves thinking, we look at those things and we say, man, that's, that's uh, not really what Jesus would probably do in that moment. And yet, thankfully, even in the midst of our failure, our God is faithful to forgive. Our God loves us. We don't find love in the fact that, that we somehow make ourselves great and earn God's approval. We don't find love in that somehow we fix our lives and, and pursue God on our own. We find love in that God loved us first, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our trespasses, while we were still children of wrath, fleeing from the God who made us, fleeing from the God who loves us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He initiated with us. And that doesn't end when we make a mistake. When we've been adopted into the family of God, as we just sang, man, there is no mountain, there's no valley, there's, there's nothing in this world or outside of this world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, I see the fault, man, I see the failure, but he still calls us to faithfulness, right? We don't have to be faultless to still pursue a lifestyle of faithfulness, to, to, to still answer the call that he places on our lives to follow Jesus. That's what's incredible about our God is he still calls us to follow the example set forth by Jesus Christ. And not only that, but to help others follow Jesus as well. That's why we're here. It's what we do. It's what we're about. Spoiler alert for the membership class. What we see in this moment, when we see in these examples that Paul holds up, is that following Jesus with our lives, it requires that we focus on his concerns, on his concerns in every context. Now, when, when Paul begins to talk about these two men, he's going to go through two different individuals. He, he starts with this guy named Timothy, all right? So he's been writing to the church in Philippi, and he's been talking about how he's grateful for them, about uh, how he's calling them to unity. He's been encouraging them to, 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 to serve with one another, to be working alongside of one another, and to really use the salvation that they've been given for, for the higher purpose that God's given them. And so after he's kind of given these charges, these, these kind of motivations, these calls forward, then he's going to give them an example. He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by hearing news about you. He says, for there is no one here like him. There is no one here in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. He says, there's no one here like him who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. In other words, he says, man, there's, there's no one I can think of who has as deep a concern for you as Timothy. Others, man, maybe they're busy with their own concerns and not those of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, G Timothy, what's so incredible, what's so significant about Timothy is that he has the right concern. He has this concern that is in line with the concerns of Christ Jesus. He says there are other people they are running after their own concerns, their own things, kind of what they're worried about, what they're anxious about, the things that they care about. He says, but Timothy, he's just, he's on the same wavelength as Jesus Christ. And then when we see two people just in sync like that, when we see two people thinking right along the same lines as one another, it's a beautiful harmony to witness. How many decades will your husband say his mother has lived? Gloria. 
Ten decades. Ten decades. <laughs> Gentlemen, how many decades has your mother lived? You know, you have a troubled look on your face. What's the matter? Oh, I don't know what a decade is. Forty-fourth birthday, so she'd be good. It's four years a decade. She'd be ten decades. Ten decades. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Inspiration for us all. When we see two people align with how they think and what they think, man, even if it's really getting confused about what a decade means, it's inspiring. That's something, that's something really cool. It's something we like to see. There's something beautiful in that. And Paul is saying that Timothy is thinking in the same way as Jesus Christ. Right? He shares in the same concerns of Jesus Christ. And what are those concerns? Right? That, that's the question we should then ask is, okay, well, what are those concerns? What are the things that, that Timothy is occupying his mind with? And, and when we look in the life of Christ, when we look in his teaching and his preaching and his ministry, man, he goes in a lot of directions and he says a lot of stuff and he, he provides a lot of guidance for a lot of areas of life and a lot of wisdom about who our God is and, and how this world works. But I would say when, when Jesus was pressed to boil it down, when Jesus was asked to, hey, give us just sort of the short answer, like give us, give us the cliff notes, show us what's the clearest path, kind of most basic path forward. He says, well, if you want to know which commandment in the law is the greatest, he says, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is it. And then I would put a little asterisk. I'd actually add just one little kind of sub point, right? That's the first and greatest commandment. But, but there's the second one that's a lot like it because you're called to love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and all the prophets, they all depend on these two commandments. In other words, this is something that maybe some of us have heard. Some of, some of us maybe have memorized it. Some of us know this as the great commandment. That's what we call it. The great commandment that we are called to love our God and love his people. To love God with everything we are. To love people with everything we have. Right? And what's beautiful is that Jesus Christ, he didn't just say this. Right? This wasn't just word service. Jesus Christ, he lived this out. Right? When we look at his life, specifically at his death and at his, at his resurrection, what we see is the perfect Adam, the one who came, who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life in line with this commandment. When Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, gave up his life so that people might live. It's the ultimate act of love. He says, no greater love is there than this, that a man would lay down his life for another. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And so he says, this is the greatest commandment that you should follow. But watch, because I'm going to pave the way before you. And then when Jesus is, is leaving his disciples, as he's departing, as, he, as he's ascending to heaven, right? He, he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And then he rose again to prove his power over sin and death, to prove the validity of the truth that he spoke. He says, as he's leaving, he's, he's rising into heaven and he's leaving his disciples and he tells them, hey, as I go, this is what you need to know, right? This is the kind of last thing to keep in mind. This is the great, what we call commission, that you should go. 
And you should make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus says, man, the greatest commandment is that you would love God and that you would love people. And he says the greatest way to fulfill that, right, the ultimate way to to love the Lord, to bring glory to the Lord, the ultimate way to love people is to point them to God, right? The best way to love people is you help them love the God who loves them, the God who loves you, the God who saved you. He says, tell people about this. Make disciples. Be a disciple who then makes disciples new disciples. He says, this is your calling. This is your purpose. And what's beautiful about this great commandment and this great commission is that they are joined by this wonderful connection, this wonderful overarching theme that ultimately our focus, our minds, our hearts, they are called to be focused outward instead of in. We all have a natural incurvature to our soul. We all have a natural tendency to look in at our own concerns, our own worries, our own desires, our own thoughts, our own feelings. And yet when we look at the greatest commandment, when we look at this great commission, what we see is our God calling us to focus out. To put the concerns of others first, but the concerns of our Lord is preeminent. The beauty of this simple charge is that not only is it easy to grasp, but it's then easy to carry into every context we find ourselves. It's difficult to fulfill, but it's easy to carry into every context. And that's what we see in the life of the second individual that Paul is about to lift up. After talking about Timothy, after saying, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you here in a bit. He says, I've also considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. For he is my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, and the minister to me in my need. In other words, what we see right here is Paul is not just holding up the example of Timothy. Ba, 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 bang, 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 look at this. But he says, check out Epaphroditus. This other individual, this, this, this man who came out of the church of Philippi. This man who knows the church in Philippi. This, this man that Paul is longing to send back to them. This man who he would go on, he'll go on to say that he, Epaphroditus got really sick in his journey to deliver this gift to Paul. And, and, and what was so troubling to Epaphroditus wasn't the fact that he got sick, but he was troubled because he knew that the church in Philippi knew that he got sick. And so he was just distraught with concern for making the church in Philippi feel bad for him. He has this incredible heart, this incredible mindset, this incredible focus outward. And we see it play out in these five different, distinct, specific, intentional roles that Paul highlights. He says, Epaphroditus, he's, he's my brother. Right? In other words, he he's shares the same past, the same present, the same future as me, right? When we look to our left and right, when we see fellow believers, what we have learned through scripture, through God's revelation is that we've been adopted into a family. That's the term that God loves to use is that we're his sons and daughters, which makes us then brothers and sisters. And so Paul says, man, this Epaphroditus guy, what's so wonderful is that he, he's fulfilling this role. He's living in this moment, in this context of being my brother, which is very significant 
It means that you're accepting that, hey, I'm going to be living with these people. I'm going to be dealing with these people. I'm going to be working with these people forever, right? That, that's what family is. Family is forever. That is what my mom would tell me on basically every one of her birthdays and every single one of the Mother's Days that we'd celebrate as a family. Uh, my parents, my, I have an older sister and a younger sister, the, the three siblings of us, I mean, we didn't always get along super great. And so when it was my mom's birthday or when it was Mother's Day, she would say, all I want, the only gift I need is that you'd all just get along for one day. One day. Almost every year without fail. Like, mom, just like take the card. Like, gosh. She's like, just get along. Say, because. And she would always ask, she said, because family is forever. You're going to be living with each other forever. You can't just leave. Right? If you have been adopted in this family, if you're a part of a family, that is a relationship that does not break, that does not end. That is a relationship that continues forward. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. And so when we look at these other people, when we look at these other believers who might be in a, a different age, or they might be in a different stage, or they might uh, hold to a different theological conviction, how do we think about them? How do we get along with them? How do we see these brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we see them as a difficulty or a hindrance or a distraction? Or do, these, do we see them as people who are worthy of our current investment in the eternal relationship we're going to have with them? Paul says, if you've got this outward focus, you're going to be living in this role as a brother, as a sister. You're also going to be this co-worker, right? This, this worker alongside. Because not only do you have this common heritage, not only are you in this common family, but you have a common goal, right? You have a shared purpose. And when we see people live in the midst of in a shared purpose, when we see everyone kind of with their eyes on the same prize, all these people working in harmony after the same goal, man, again, it's just a beautiful thing to witness. Indeed. Worthy of praise. That was amazing. It's amazing to see everyone kind of just lined up, not only thinking in the same way, but living in the same way, right? Moving forward together, helping one another, pushing each other, rolling on rollerblades and dunking basketball. Like that's just, that's an amazing thing to see when we see people come together for a common goal, for a common cause. And Paul says, we have this with one another. As followers of Jesus Christ, as fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, he says, we have this charge, we have this calling, we have this purpose that we're all living in. The way he frames it to the church in Corinth is he says that Jesus Christ died for all so that those who live, meaning all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, those of us who have been given the gift of eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, all of us, we should no longer live for ourselves. But instead, who do we live for? For him who died. For the one who died and was raised. We have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, 
to live for the one who gave us life. To live for the goal of knowing our God and making him known. For living in the purpose of that great commission to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. To teach them what we've been taught. To show them what we've been shown. To point people to the God who saves. The incredible hope we've been given. Paul says you have this opportunity to work alongside of one another. That's why discipleship, if you you are walking alongside of someone and and you're pursuing the Lord together, you're, you're not disciples. You're not making disciples of yourself. Right? Jesus doesn't say, go and make disciples of Jim. Baptize them in the name of James, his full name. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, you're making disciples that are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're, you're making disciples of Jesus Christ because he says, if you look at me, you see the Father. Right? If you look at me, you, you have the model to follow. You, you, you have this example that's been set forth. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we're doing that, as we're moving in that direction with one another, discipleship will always include multiplication. It will include evangelizing, sharing your faith with others. It will include finding new disciples to make, right? Walking alongside more and more people, training people up in how to walk alongside others, right? To to multiply in that sense. We are coworkers with the same, same purpose, with the same goal. And yet many times we find ourselves not working alongside of one another that well. I mean, I see this even just working in a church where we are officially vocationally assigned the task of helping people find and follow Jesus. It's our job. And yet there's still dissension, man. There's still disagreement. There's still frustration. There's still friction because we're broken people trying to serve a perfect God and it just happens. So where are you at? Who are you working alongside of? Is there someone else in your life that you would say, yeah, we're, I'm following after Jesus together with this person. We're, we're helping each other. We're challenging each other. We're encouraging one another forward on this path of following after Jesus with the entirety of who we are. Paul says you, you need these coworkers. You should live in this role But what's incredible about Epaphroditus is he's also a fellow soldier. He's not just this co-worker, he's this co-soldier, right? Because we, as a family, we have a common enemy. We have a shared motivation to, to not only serve our God, but to protect each other, to protect one another. It's so beautiful that Don got to come and, and, and honor the veterans in our midst. Because it is this picture, it's this illustration that we see repeatedly in Scripture where Christians are called to be firm in their faith as as soldiers, as Don said, kind of standing in that gap, standing in harm's way for one another. I was a history major, Texas A&M. Yep, there's a few of us. (laughs) Look out. And I'll tell you, as a history major, as one who read a lot of things written by a lot of historians, there is really nothing historians love more than to discuss the why behind what happened in history. And one of those big discussions that I encountered repeatedly throughout my time at Texas A&M uh, was why 
Did Nazi Germany lose World War II? It's this high, I mean, there's so many books. I'm sure there's a few of us even here right now. They're like, well, I'll tell you. And that's great. That's awesome. And I'll tell you, a lot of that discussion uh, hits a lot of different pieces. And, and one of those pieces, one of those elements uh, is that uh, the, the Germans, they lost what was called their primary group. Okay? At the beginning of any massive, any large-scale war, what you see is you have all of these individuals, all these men who have enlisted together, and they're probably from the same area, right? So they were probably already living near each other. Then they enlisted at about the same time with one another, which means they're sent to training pretty much together, and then they get deployed together. And so they're not just living and, and, tra- and enlisting and training and fighting together, but eventually what they do is they begin to lay down their lives. They begin to serve one another, sacrifice for the men next to them, for their buddy. And many times, lots of, lots of historians, lots of authors have said this, but you're, you're almost, you find yourself as a soldier fighting for the person next to you, even more so than the ideals that are kind of behind the conflict at hand. And yet what happens over the, over the course of a long-scale war, a long-term war, is that eventually, as higher casualties mount, those initial primary groups begin to shrink, especially for the Germans as high casualties started to hit them, especially when they were engaged in the land war and with Russia, uh, they would have up to 70% of their units just decimated. And so when replacements were brought in, they were increasingly unknown. They were increasingly young. And a lot of them were kind of these young fanatics who had been kind of brainwashed through the Hitler youth program. And as they were getting put into these units, suddenly these older guys, these guys who had enlisted kind of on the front end They didn't know who they could trust. They didn't know the guy next to them. They didn't understand him. And so suddenly they began to question what they were even fighting for, why they were even there, what was going on. And as that happens, man, morale would plummet and men would die. Even to this day, man, our our military, a lot of times they they recognize this buddy system, this idea that, man, the people next to you are so important. The the connection that you build with your bunker buddy, man, that is crucial for your survival. And we as believers are engaged in a spiritual war. We cannot escape this fact in our scripture. That we have an enemy who's prowling like a lion who's seeking to devour us. That we are under attack from an enemy who is bent against us with everything he is. And we cannot overlook our buddies in the bunker. We cannot overlook the fact that we have been placed together for a purpose. God has enlisted us at the same time in the same place for some reason. It's no accident that you're sitting next to the people you're sitting next to. It's no accident that you know the people you know who are fellow believers, that you know the people you know, the the people in your family, the people in your classes, the people in your home, the people at your work. We can't overlook the significance of that role. These fellow soldiers that are alongside of us, these people that we should be protecting. But are we? Are you protecting your buddies? And are you open and vulnerable enough to seek protection, to ask for protection from them? Paul says, man, Epaphroditus, he lived in this role. He saw the significance of this calling. 
Not only as a brother, not only as a coworker, not only as a soldier, but also as this messenger. In other words, we have a common language. Epaphroditus was bringing a literal message from the church in Philippi to Paul. He was bringing a, a gift to him. But the reality is that we still have this calling. We still have this role that we can step into. If we're outward focused, if we're following that great commandment and that great commission as we walk alongside of one another, as we're seeking to be and produce disciples in the name of Christ, then we're going to be speaking the same language. We're going to be sharing the same truth. My daughter, Charlotte, is almost three years old, uh, and she uh, is a big fan of my back porch and also a big fan of her brother. She loves uh, her little brother Lawrence, just adores him, and sometimes too much. Uh, but many times when she is uh, just excited to be around him, excited to play with him, uh, she, he'll be like crawling on the ground, and she will just like try to like smother him and just like lay on top of him. Uh, whatever. It's fine. And so he, she, as she's engaged in these semi-dangerous activities, uh, we many times we'll be like, Hey Charlotte, just, you know, try to back off. But sometimes we don't actually have to say like, Hey Charlotte, be gentle because as she goes to just kind of pancake him, she like goes down and I've seen it where she goes down and she goes, Oh, and she backs up real quick. And then she, without fail, will announce to our home, Lawrence went poo-poo in his pants. <laughs> and she will tell us, over, until we acknowledge, she would say, okay, thank you. She was like, Lawrence went poo-poo in his pants. Like, everyone needs to know this fact. Like, this thing occurred. Are you aware? Like, she needs to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we all hear the same message, that we're all aware of the same truth. And it's not necessarily the most loving way, right? It's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a dirty diaper shaming, right? And we try to calm her down a little bit. But this is who we are as believers. Paul says, look, you have an opportunity, right, into the church in Ephesus. He says, you have an opportunity. You are called to this life of being messengers who are speaking the truth in love. And in doing so, we get to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He says, if we're speaking the same language, if we're sharing this common conversation, as we're speaking truth and love, what's going to happen is it's going to bond us closer together. It's going to bring us closer to Christ. It's going to move us along in that path of discipleship. It's going to help us follow after Jesus if we're living in this role as messengers, speaking this truth in love. Right? In love. So how are we speaking? What are we speaking? What are we saying to our fellow believers? And how are we saying it? Some of us, man, we're like, I love speaking truth. You come to my house, you're going to get truth. Like it's going to happen. And that's great. But how are you saying it? Is it in a loving, gracious way? Man, that's what's beautiful about Jesus Christ. The example set forth for us that he embodied the spirit of grace and truth. Some of us, we say, yeah, I mean, I'll just, I would love, I love to love. I love to comfort and I love to be gracious. I mean, sometimes if there's no truth in that, it's, it's empty and it's useless. We need both. We need a balance. It moves us forward as we follow after Christ. It moves us forward in our discipleship of him, the perfect example. We see it in the life of Epaphroditus. We also see... Finally, that he lived not only in this role as a messenger, but also in this role as a minister. 
Paul's saying he fulfilled these roles. He, it, it's a term in the Greek that he also uses uh, in, in Romans 15 to describe the ministry of a priest, an official priest. He says this is, it's the same type of ministry. To, to serve another person, to go and, and, and bring someone else closer to the Lord, to serve them in this kind of high priest role, which is beautiful because when we look in Scripture, what we see is that as believers, we're not only adopted in the family of God, we are then given, we have this proximity to the Lord that is unprecedented. The veil has been torn and suddenly we are a royal chosen priesthood. We all have access to the God of the universe. That relationship has been restored by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is that we should then use that opportunity, not only for our own, not just kind of be like, oh, great, I'm a priest now. I'll put that on my business card. But he says, you're going to live in that role and you're going to minister to one another. You're going to be priests to one another. In other words, you're going to share. You're going to serve. You're going to pray for one another. You're going to go before the Lord on each other's behalf. This is Epaphroditus did this, right? He ministered to me. He spoke to me. He brought me this gift He's done these things. It's an example to follow. It's, it's this incredible picture of how to follow, not Epaphroditus, but how to follow Jesus Christ. And the ultimate example that he set forth. And Paul says, if we're living in this way, if we're moving in these roles, what's incredible is that through all of this, he, he's talking about, man, Epaphroditus is going to come back to you soon. He says, you need to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. These such, such men, such individuals as these, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He was risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, it's this idea of standing in the gap. That's what's so beautiful is if we're living in this way, if we're fulfilling that commandment, fulfilling that commission, if our focus is outward, if we're looking at, man, how do I be a disciple of Christ? How do I make disciples of Christ? What's going to happen is that we are going to find the opportunities to stand in the gap for one another, to fulfill what's lacking for one another. We're not called to be Jesus for other people. Some of us have tried that and it's, it's terrible. We can't do it. Some of us are in the middle of it and we're looking for an out because we're realizing, man, I can't do this. I can't be the end all be all for anyone. Not for my spouse, not for my kids, not for my friends, not for my coworkers. I can't be Jesus for all people. But what I can be is I can be a brother or I can be a sister or I can be a coworker or I can be a soldier or I can be a messenger or I can be a minister. I can step into these gaps that are formed in particular contexts, in particular moments and God will empower me to stand in that gap. God will empower me to complete what's lacking in that moment. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guide, as a counselor, as empowerment to be strong where we're weak, to move us into those places. Could God have just given Paul the financial things that he needed, which Epaphroditus probably brought to him? Could God have just made that appear? Absolutely. And yet God used Epaphroditus to stand in that gap. God gave Epaphroditus the opportunity to be involved in his mission of filling the gap, of completing what was lacking for Paul. And we have this opportunity. If we're willing to allow the Spirit to to, to speak through us, to move through us, Suddenly, when we look around ourselves, we we don't have to worry about, man, how do I solve all the problems of all the people of all the world? 
Instead, we ask ourselves, I mean, where are those gaps that are just right here in front of me? And so what we're going to do as a body, as a community, is we're going to pray for one another. We're going to take advantage of the fact that God has put us here for a reason. That God has put you around these people that may or may not like candy, and they are there for a purpose. God has arranged this morning so that we might not just listen alongside of one another, but that we might speak to one another, that we might minister to one another, that we might be messengers for one another, that that we might look for gaps. And so what's going to happen is what we're going to do is here in a minute, you're going to find a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you talk to during the stand and greet. Uh, Maybe it's someone else. It's totally fine. But you're going to find one or two other people and you're going to share with them. And this is something, this is someone that I could see the Lord moving me towards this week. Right? There, there's this gap that just has come to my mind over the last few moments. Or maybe it's, it was weighing on me before I even walked in the door. And now it's really weird because I'm like, what? That's what I was thinking about. And you're going to share. I mean, this is a gap that I think I can move towards. This is a person that I think I, I, could, I could help. Someone that I could maybe help find Jesus for the very first time. Maybe it's someone I could help just follow Jesus more fully with their life. Maybe it's something as simple as, man, there's a lawn on my street that I could mow. Or, or maybe there's a, a meal that I have open that I could just, I could provide. I could invite someone to my home, a coworker, someone. It could be the person sitting next to you. Say, man, I would love for you to just come over and share a meal with my family. I can't be Jesus for you, but I can give you like a casserole and that's Pretty close, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> but we're going to take them on. We're just going to share. I mean, this is, this is a direction that I think I see God moving me. This is, this is a person I see God calling me towards. This is the gap that I think I could stand in. And you're going to share that briefly with one another. And you can be as specific or as general as you want. You, know, you don't have to go into great detail if, if, if it's a sensitive matter. But then you're going to pray for one another. And you're going to pray that God would move because ultimately in and of ourselves, we can't fill those gaps. In and of ourselves, we don't, we don't have the eyes to see. We don't have the ears to hear. We don't have the, the hands and feet to, to perform that work. We have to allow the Spirit to move through us. We have to allow God to empower our movement and our action. So pray for one another that God would use us powerfully to move into those gaps, to move into those moments. Okay? So find a couple people around you, and I'll wrap us up here in a minute. Ready, set, Go. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us, Lord, this opportunity to share the joys and the burdens with one another that, that are, we're experiencing in our lives. God, we thank you that you have orchestrated events that you would bring us to this point uh, where we can just enjoy the, the wonderful, incredible benefits of community. And so, God, we thank you that as we're approaching this moment of, of, of communion, Lord, of, of recognizing not only what the body at large can do, but, but what Jesus Christ did with his body, with the sacrifice that he made, Lord, as we're, as we're about to observe and remember what he accomplished, God, we just ask that you would set our minds and our hearts on the things above. That God, that we would, that we would look away, we'd turn away, we would, we would take our focus off of maybe the, the temporary or the distractions or the anxieties or the fears, or the frustrations. But that God, over these next few moments, that we would just, we would just be calm and focused in on what you have for us. 
So God, we ask that you would guide this time. We pray this in your will. Amen.